0: perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for the next part of my journey through the Scriptures. Stay as long as you like, and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible. From Revelation 19 verses 11 onwards, we are embarking on a new section of the book of Revelation that starts with the return of Jesus Christ, and the establishment of His millennial kingdom, and then the coming of the new heaven and the new earth, which will be for eternity. This is the final section in the book of Revelation and we will have to go through it carefully and thoughtfully and look at every part of it as we have done all the way through this wonderful book. The second coming of Jesus is the great climax of all history, all human events, since the beginning of time have been moving towards this, the single divine event. I am convinced that many of you listening to this podcast will have asked in your hearts the following question at some time. Will things in our troubled world ever get better or will it continue to get worse and worse? Will there ever be an end to all the war, the hatred, the injustice and the chaos? And the answer to that question is unequivocally, yes, it is going to get better. But that yes is always to be linked with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Only that event and that event alone is what is going to remedy the problems of our world. That is the good news. But the bad news is that before things get better they are going to get a lot, lot worse. We have not even begun to comprehend how bad life can be, how evil it can be, how unjust it can be, how chaotic it can be, and how deadly it can be. I am not just being negative or a prophet of doom when I say this. Anyone reading the book of Revelation must acknowledge that starting from chapter 6 with the unfolding of the seven sealed judgments and seven trumpet judgments and seven bowls of the wrath of God all describe how bad it is going to become. It should be a concern to all believers when the true church of Jesus Christ becomes preoccupied with only the issues at hand and the world's problems and tries to be a friend of the world. I believe that the main reason why the church has become preoccupied with the world is the absence of an eager expectation for the return of Jesus Christ. When the church thinks that its role in the world is to deal with and solve the problem of evil, then it is living in a delusion. Our hope should never be to fix the world. Our hope should be the return of Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to Revelation chapter 19 verses 11, where the return of Jesus Christ is described for us, it is important to remember what the prior passage was all about. That passage described the great event that is called in verse 9, the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. A time when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will join together with all his redeemed people and gathers his bride to enter into the glory of the kingdom and participate in that wonderful time of celebration. However, before that Marriage Supper can come to pass, our warrior Lord must win the final battle. He cannot take his bride into the kingdom until he returns from glory in the greatest battle of all time. It is at this time when the greatest assembly of enemies comes against the Lord Jesus Christ and they will gather together in great armies on the plains of Megiddo for the final battle of Armageddon. Revelation 19 describes how the Lord Jesus will appear when all eyes will see him. Jesus himself described that event in Matthew 24 30. He said, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 19 verses 11 to 16 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This appearance is what Paul calls in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 8, the appearance of his coming, or literally, in the original Greek, the glorious display of his presence. Remember that Jesus came as a thief for his church at the beginning of the last seven years of history. Then he took the true church away unexpectedly, and secretly, just like a thief, takes a treasure out of a house. Since then, he has been invisibly present with the church behind the scenes throughout the whole seven-year period, directing all its actions. The Greek word to describe this invisible presence is parousia, and this is one of those strange Greek words that doesn't have any equivalent word in English that fully describes its true meaning. In its simplest form, parousia in Greek means... Presencing. This word was used to describe the feeling that a person would have if they were unexpectedly visited by someone important. They might not see this person or speak to them, but they would be aware of a presence and the atmosphere of being in the presence of this important person. But now in Revelation 19, the Lord Jesus' invisible presence is made visible, and suddenly he breaks through from the invisible realm to a strikingly visible. And like Revelation 1 7 declares, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. This rider on a white horse is clearly identified for us by the use of four different names. Firstly, he is called faithful and true in verse 11. It is in that capacity that he comes to judge and to make war, and his judgments and his warfare are just. At last, as scripture has long promised, all the wrongs done on earth will be made right. All the cheats and scams that we are familiar with today will be exposed and corrected. All crime will be brought to an end. All hatred among mankind will cease, for Jesus comes to judge the earth and to right all matters. The second name is found in verse 12. Eyes, like a flame of fire, signifies full discernment and penetrating knowledge, and the many diadems speak of absolute and full authority. A diadem is a word used to describe a crown worn by a king, symbolizing royalty or authority. Together these two symbols signify omniscience and omnipotence. But each is present in a man. That is the point of the scripture. The wonder of Jesus is that it is as man that he manifests the fullness of God, for he is both God and man. His name, that name, that no one knows but himself reveals that. What this suggests, I think, is that no one knows the full extent of that mysterious union of God and man. All that is meant by that marvelous revelation, that there is placed in a man the full authority, power, omniscience and omnipotence of God, and that is something that no one fully knows except Jesus himself. Verse 13 shows the third name of this rider on the white horse. The name of word of God is associated with the robe dipped in blood and with the armies of heaven following him, as well as with the sharp sword that comes out of his mouth. Some Bible commentators refer to him being clothed in a robe dipped in blood as describing the cross that is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. But before we can simply accept that traditional interpretation I think it will be helpful to first refer to a remarkable dialogue found in Isaiah 63 verses 1-4. to This passage is a dialogue between the prophet Isaiah and the warrior Messiah. Isaiah is shown the coming of Christ and it is as though he is standing in Jerusalem looking south towards Edom. There he witnesses the approach of a great warrior with crimson stained garments and this conversation takes place. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimsoned garments from Bozrah? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red, and your garments like his whose treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. This is a parallel passage to Revelation 19 verses 13, which says the rider's robe was dipped in blood. The blood in the rider's robe was not his own blood, shed for the redemption of sinners, but the blood of the wicked pressed in the terrible winepress of judgment. Jesus did shed his blood as an atonement for sin, but the day of repentance and receiving grace has passed by the time the rider appears on the scene. The blood that stains his garment is not the blood of atonement, it is the blood of God's vengeance. The sharp sword which John sees here in the mouth of Jesus is the word of God. In the opening vision of this book, The Apostle John saw the Lord Jesus with a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. It is a symbol of the power of the word and here it portrays power to smite the nations and to destroy them. Has the word of God ever struck you like a sword? I'm sure some of us had had that experience when some scripture from the Bible has caught our attention and awoken our conscience. Suddenly we become aware that God sees deeper into us than we ever thought he could we become aware of how guilty we are. This happened on the day of Pentecost with the Jews who were listening to Peter's preaching. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37, it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were struck and pierced by the word of God. There is also that scene in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. When Peter, speaking by the Spirit, exposed their lies, they both dropped dead instantly. So here in Revelation 19, there are those who will be killed by the sword of the word of God, which comes from the Lord Jesus' mouth. Accompanying our Lord Jesus will be armies of saints and angels. In the little book of Jude, in verse 14, he quotes Enoch, the prophet, as saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. The Greek word for holy ones, Haggaios, can mean both redeemed believers or angels. Although Enoch is not a writer of scripture, it seems the Holy Spirit guided you to quote from Enoch who lived before Noah's flood. Enoch predicted that the Lord will return to earth with a myriad of holy ones. This seems to refer to angels and raptured Christians. Matthew 25 verses 31 says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And Colossians 3 verses 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. We have already seen in Revelation 17 verses 14 the promise that those with Him are called and chosen and faithful, and they will accompany Him when He comes. For many Bible commentators This describes the Church returning with the Lord Jesus when He appears in glory, but also armies of angels will accompany Him. Several passages speak of the host of angels who will return with the Lord. They too will be armed with the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Revelation 19 verse 16 gives us the rider's fourth name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This name is linked with His ruling with the rod of iron. When our Lord Jesus comes, He will rule over the nations. He will first destroy the evil ones, and then He will rule over the rest. The word translated here as rule, as in He will rule with a rod of iron, is really shepherd. So this passage should read, He will shepherd the nations with a rod or a staff of iron. Some of you might recognize this passage as coming from Psalm 2. This is the third time in Revelation that there is a reference to the promise of Psalm 2 verses 6 to 9. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of your earth your possession. You shall rule them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That rod of iron is a symbol of justice and unbending, unwavering righteousness. This is the standard of God's morality which he cannot lessen or compromise in any way. This describes what it will be like during the millennial years when righteousness will rule in all the earth. Even though sin and sinners will still exist, righteousness will reign over all the earth. Sin will not be able to interfere with God's justice and peace because sinners will immediately be restrained by the Lord's iron scepter. Everything that we have covered in these few verses from Revelation 19 starts with an important phrase right at the beginning, in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened. In a split second the gates of heaven will be opened and the Lord Jesus will appear. These events of the last moments of human history will not be a quiet or a gradual affair, but will come with violence, fiery judgment, the whole earth bathed in blood on that great day of God Almighty. All the prophets agree that the main final battle on earth will be in Palestine, specifically on the plains of Megiddo. This will be the end of man's day and the glorious return of Christ. This will be the same Jesus who ascended in Acts 1. This Jesus, says Acts 1 verses 11, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he had been despised, rejected, mocked and ridiculed, but when He returns, He will come to reign. This is David Wiles, your fellow Traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures Podcast, Episode 53.